Good afternoon, everyone. We're on a streak here. We've stopped waking up Blaine at five in the morning, and we are here in a reasonable hour. And uh, very, very excited uh, to be here. Um, it's been an extraordinary week, Blaine, and beyond uh, the Super Bowl and our junior achievement. Uh, yes. News of being nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize, which. That was a huge deal. I absolutely over the moon on that. Yeah, crazy, right? And I had to pinch myself and read it five times as having my name mentioned in there was like, uh, I, wait a second. I, you know, you try to help kids and all of a sudden, uh, it, between going to the Super Bowl and, and that, having it at home, I'm like, wow, not a bad week. Not a bad week. You, you can actually live with that week and kind of look back on it and go, not bad. Not bad. You know, my mom told me there'd be days like this. So uh, <laughs> we're, we're going to bring on Joel Bynes as soon as we get his... Uh, audio working pro appropriately, but uh, kind of wanted to pass something by you that I've been thinking about because yeah. you and I love to uh, utilize different philosophies. I, I've been working with my mathematical equation of what I pay attention to and plus what I give intention to equals these coincidences in my life. And I'm, you know, wishing for the coincidences that I want, the coinciding of my reality with my mind um, is what I perceive as as a coincidence you know when i can reconcile my mind with what in the pragmatic world materializes so a lot of people that i coach keep telling me i'm doing what i'm supposed to do i'm saying what i'm supposed to say i'm thinking what i'm supposed to think but it's not coming david you know you're talking about coincidences and you know it's been a whole month or some people maybe a whole year and some people so uh, maybe a decade even but you know i I have come to a realization on awareness and frequency that there's two missing components of why people can think, say, and do the right things, but not see the results yet or not get the coincidences that they want. Number th uh, four, which I find, is they're not um, believing it. So they're going through the motions of action, thought, and words. They're saying the right things, doing the right things, and thinking the right things. But there's no belief behind it, which clears the interference of doubt, fear, anxiety. And then even furthermore, which is a new nuance for everything I do, is they don't feel it. So they have no confidence in it. They don't feel it, uh, which is that true. So I know, you know, you have such great wisdom and, and uh, experience. You know, what's your take on my newfound kind of uh, hierarchy of intention? And does it create resistance if you don't get to the last two steps? And you know, does it create a slowdown at the very least? Yeah, uh, I think that's a great question. I've run into that quite often in the work I do as well. Yeah, people tend to get impatient. I mean, I, I can plant a, a carrot seed out in the garden and I, I, I want a carrot tomorrow. It's just right. not going to show up that fast. I mean, it really isn't. So, I mean, so just that kind of a context, we tend to default to a linear cause effect, cause effect. If I do this, I'm going to get that event. If I do this, I'm going to get that. It doesn't work that way. It really doesn't work that way. The, the, the vibrational dynamic, there, there are quantum shifts that occur. When you start to move, it'll just pop, and there's no cause-effect correlation. It just shows up. So that's one piece of it. The other one has to do with the catalytic nature of desire. And, yeah, you know, I want something. I desire it. By definition, if I desire something, I... I don't have it. And this is kind of where the, the fulcrum gets a little funky. 
uh, as long as I continue to desire by energetically, I continue to reinforce I don't have. So you're right in assuming, yeah, in, in, in defining that, yeah, once it's moved from that state of desire into I begin to believe, act, smell, taste, move as if it's already present. Vibrationally, I adopt and adapt the entire modality of that reality being manifested. It lives in me as a feeling state. I don't desire it anymore. It's already here. I just haven't arrived. Right. The mere aspect of desire is putting focus in on what's missing because you wouldn't desire something that you already had. <laughs> that yeah. makes no logical sense at all. And so, you know, my favorite mantra that I use every day, I am happy, I am healthy, I am wealthy, and I am worthy. I just want to be aware of what I'm doing to interfere with it uh, is mm -hmm. within the context or aligned with what, what you're teaching. How do we help people recognize, though, you know, this reconciliation of cause and effect that, you know, the cause is our thoughts, <laughs> right? Yeah. It, uh, it, the cause is not what we're seeing, but it's what we're projecting because we already have it. And we don't want to put, you know, attention on what other people want for us, what's missing or what we desire or what even worse, you know, complaining and worrying. Uh, we put attention on what we don't want. And not only is that negative, but it's manifesting what we don't want. The universe uh, or this, you know, quantum realm that we live in doesn't know any better, right? Yeah. It just knows attention and intention. And if you put it in the wrong place, it thinks it as it, you're wishing for it. Energy will follow attention and attention will form energy. <laughs> so there's, you know, that, there's, a, there's a reciprocity with that. Attention will... I mean, energy will follow attention. So I'm impressing with my attention that thing that I desire onto the thinking. You know, Wallace Waddles calls it the thinking substance. Yeah, mm -hmm. basically into consciousness. And when it's impressed, and by impressing, you know, impressing has an emotional dynamic. And human beings, you know, when we're impressing things in, in into the infinite, we're doing it with emotions. We're not just doing it with thought. It has to be felt. The feeling structure is the vibrational correlation. So once that vibration has been impressed, then the forming begins to occur. And, and Wallace Waddles talks about it in, in, in that context. And it's applicable to person-to-person uh, -person, uh, energy as well. When you talk about collaborative coordinated movement, uh, it's to the same respect that we're collaborating coordinate movement with the infinity, but we also have that in a collective consciousness that's a microcosmic mirror to the greater consciousness that exists and that we can create these micro consciousnesses that then have feelings that impact in the same respect as an individual mind. We can have a collective mind that does the same thing. And is that exponentially more powerful when you have this collaborated coordinated movement that creates the collective consciousness that is a collective yeah. feeling that allows for pragmatic business practices to adhere or to manifest themselves. It absolutely is. When I can tap into what Carl Jung used to call the universal mind, yeah, that, that's co-creating, co-creating with the infinite. So yeah, there's gradations of co-creation. At a business level, I want to be able to co-create with my business associates, you know, my employees, my, you know, my teammates. And that co-creation is 
an ownership transfer has occurred with co-creation. And ownership has to do with formation of an ideal into physical form. And and to, to that respect as well, you know, I get into a situation, whether it's personal or professional, where, you know, my thoughts allow things to grow. Like I, I feel the wrong things. I think the wrong things. And I make decisions based off of assumptions that aren't true. Uh, They're true in my mind. uh, But I find out later on that the coordinated collaboration, my focus was in on the wrong thing and, you know, been mistaken, but for some other occurrence happening Um, in the realm of a collective consciousness, there's independent thought and there's also independent activity that may or not be aligned with what we perceive to be the truth. Um, How do we help people not only articulate this feeling, uh, but also not react to, you know, false evidence, which is appearing real or (laughs) fear-based emotion? Yeah, I I remember something that uh, uh, was told to me a long time ago. Uh, Fear is the absence of love. Mm-hmm. And if I love what I'm what I'm trying to make happen in my life, if I love what I'm wanting to manifest, fear doesn't enter into the equation. Fear is a very high state vibrationally. And so when I associate with, you know, what I'm wanting to bring into reality in the context of love, that's one thing. The other piece, and this is a really important piece, I think, David, people get um, thinking the truth is probably the most difficult thing that you can do because the truth is always being countermanded by what I look, you know, when I look around and I go, well, my bank account isn't what I said I wanted it to be. But if I hold the truth that it's an abundant universe and it's, and I am incredibly wealthy as a consequence of it being an abundant universe, I want to hold that truth. I don't want to be swayed by what seems to be truth being fed to me by my checkbook account or my balance account. Holding the truth is, is, is actually what the challenge is. And the truth is, it is real. Whatever it may be, it is real. I just haven't arrived. I need to vibrate with it. I need to you know, coordinate with it. I need to you know, align with it. I need to come into coherence with it. That's what truth is. And this yeah. is where generosity or uh, gratitude you know, plays a really big role. Yeah, the only common denominator in happiness, no matter how tall, short, rich, poor, healthy, sick, you are, gratitude is the only common denominator in happiness or the the truth. And finding the light, the love, and the lessons is finding the truth. Um, And that truth is infinite, uh, which is very hard for people to accept. Um, How, you knew this one was going to come, right? So how does linear time (laughs) <laughs> you know, affect, affect people's perception of their bank account, for example, uh, it, because I know you are so keen in articulating this. But, you know, when people think in terms of linear time, they then look at their bank account and that's where they see not enough what's missing or what other people think instead of the truth. How does linear time in the respect of moments in that linear time uh, affect or cause the truth? Yeah, you're, you're, you know, this kind of goes full circle back to your original question. And we are, I mean, we're physical beings, and our experience in life 
is a physical experience in life. And so we see seasons progressing in time. And the default, you know, when I look at what I have today, I can go back in time. I can look back in time and go, well, here's what I did. I did this step. I did that step. It produced that result. That result I leveraged into this thing. So I can look back in time. And the, and the backward look is always a cause effect look. Yeah, you know, Jobs talked about you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only you know, connect them looking backward. Well, yeah. what he's talking about is, you know, we recognize cause effect looking backward. Where we're at looking into what we're going to call the future where this ideal state exists. I want to, you know, ideally what I do is I say, take constraints of time off because it's only going to frustrate me. If I operate from the perspective that it's already happened, yeah. I just haven't arrived. It's already happened. It's just not shown up yet. And I haven't shown up yet. And that's a question of vibrationally, how do I show up? And it will be a quantum pop. All of a sudden, it just, you know, what's needed just appears. And it will be done in a time frame that is appropriate for its manifestation. I love that. And I love the words like, you know, the lack of interference or effortless or the resistance that's created with the expectation of linear time and how that's relative to things taking longer or appearing to take longer instead of being at the right place at the right time with everything already there. And that's where we coordinate the collaborate and align that feeling uh, that we were talking about earlier. All right. We got our, our guest here waiting for us in the wings. I'm so excited. Thank you for sharing with us now everybody got a taste of learn.blainbartlab.com forward slash lmm he is the mindset mastermind he's my master of my mind my mentor and i want to thank you blaine for letting me uh do a little coaching session in front of everyone uh jane mcclelland she is here she's an award-winning former chartered psychotherapist and international <laughs> best-selling author uh, i love i love you know I i've been so excited to have you on here your, your uh, book is How to Starve Cancer. And I think one of the greatest things that I'm focused in on is this idea of ease or disease mm -hmm. and the simplicity of uh, our human embodiment of keeping it at ease. And through technology, uh, we're finding out, you know, some really simple ways uh, to keep our uh, embodiment at ease instead of disease. And although technology has created a lot of disease in the human body, we're now counteracting that with courses and books like yours uh, of, for example, how to starve cancer. And so, you know, one of number one, thank you, but let's delve right into the methodology of, of starving quote unquote cancer. Yeah. Okay, straight in. <laughs> straight in. We don't. We, we don't have enough time. You're too. You're too wise to waste time with pleasantries. We, okay. we, get, we dig deep. Fine. Well, yeah. So I, um, I discovered this kind of approach. It was. It was something I developed myself going through cancer uh, when I was. Uh, I was diagnosed back in 1994, and then it recurred to 1999. And at that point, I had fewer options left on the table. And then it ended up, oh, we've got an echo going on at the moment. I don't know whether we can stop that. Um, but we've, uh, we then ended up, I, I ended up with um, another bone marrow cancer as a result of the chemo and radiotherapy I'd had for the first cancer. And at that point, I had to then look at something different that wasn't just chemo and radiotherapy. 
So I looked at starving the cancer in a different way. So it was not just diet. I was using supplements as well, but I actually used off-label drugs. I worked out a cocktail that would block the metabolic pathways that fed the cancer so that I would actually starve it because cancer is a really hungry, it's like a parasite and it feeds off you. It's really hungry. And if you starve it, it's just like any old parasite or if you have mice in your home or anything, if they can't get the food, they'll just go. Same with cancer. If it can't get its food, it will just disappear. So um, that's what happened with me. Thank the Lord. Um, And I can see it's helping an awful lot of other people as well. Yeah, yeah, your your McClelland Metro map. Um, Yeah, yeah, I I love the, the phraseology on that. Yeah. Number one, I'm just curious about the title. Yeah, kind of why you titled okay. it the way you did it. But it's, also, um, just, you know, where does it lead us? It's a map to somewhere. Where yes, does it lead us? exactly. So obviously, I'm in London, and we have the underground. But I thought, well, most of my followers are actually in the US, and they understand the word metro a bit more than the, you know the tube. Um, but it's a similar thing in that if you look at the if you're looking down at the sort of the cancer, you can see the genetic pathways quite clearly this is something that the oncologists the researchers have been following for decades they've been absolutely fixated by the genetic pathways but if you go so if you if you're looking at sort of the roadmap of piccadilly circus i kind of use piccadilly circus as my kind of uh ground zero if you like but actually if you go underground there are fewer metabolic pathways that lead to piccadilly circus and actually these are easier to target and trying to constantly chase different um, genetic changes. But in fact, those genetic changes also relate to metabolic changes that are happening inside the cell. So there are very common pathways that get mutated, like the P53. And the P53 means that the cell will use more glucose, it will use more glutamine, which is uh, an amino acid. So you've got to relate what those genetic changes mean to what that's actually happening inside the cell. It's a bit scientific, but it's a, it's actually really fairly basic. You know, if you just yeah. imagine that there are lots of fuel pathways going in, but if you block one, the cancer will just learn to reroute, go back out and come back in a different way. And actually with the underground, it's, it's actually, you can predict the kind of pathways that it's going to take. And you can see that if you dig around in the research for long enough, which I did, <laughs> you will actually work out things like if you block mTOR, which is one of the pathways, it will use autophagy, which is normally used to sort of um, clean out your cells. And it's a good thing for healthy cells. But cancer actually uses the process of autophagy, which uh, to, to actually feed itself. So it's a, um, cancer is a, dif- a difficult, wily beast that needs a really clever approach of blocking multiple pathways. And that's the problem is we need we always need a combination approach with what we're doing. And we don't actually have enough of a combination with the traditional oncology route that we're going down at the moment. And you're obviously a huge supporter of off-label drugs and utilization. Yeah, uh, for that. Saved my life. And, yeah. And, and, <laughs> yeah. You know, I find it really interesting because, you know, certain things save certain people's lives. And, you know, number one, I'd love for you to tell people what off-label drugs are. Uh, but yeah. more importantly, how do you um, reconcile the individuality of people when we start to market off-label or alternative types of uh, medicine or drugs 
that may or may not, you know, apply to the masses or may not apply to a specific genre of people, you know, some demographic or some genetic or energetic inheritance um, for, you know, someone who has this, this uh, support for off label drugs. Is there a solution to protect, you know, those people that may blindly go into utilization of these types of things, but first please define off label drugs and then answer the question. Sorry. off-label drugs that that um it is a broad term meaning that when when a, a drug is given a classification it's sort of given a sort of so metformin for example is uh classified as a drug for diabetes now what i did is use it off-label so the label doesn't say for cancer but i use it for cancer so it's an off-label indication for the drug i use another drug called dipridamol that's an anti-platelet drug so it stops platelets sticking together so again, I use it in an off-label way. Now, I'm not saying that metformin and uh, dipredomol are suitable for absolutely everyone, but when you look at the, but metformin is actually probably the most accepted off-label drug at the moment. It's, it's really managed to break down quite a few of those barriers. Um, certainly in the last couple of years, I've certainly seen oncologists change their view to um, mm-hmm the approach of adding metformin in. They haven't got beyond metformin. There are a lot of others. I use the statin as well. I use lovastatin, and that blocks a cholesterol pathway. Interestingly, dipridamol blocks another cholesterol pathway, and all cancer cells need cholesterol blobs on their surface in order to be a cancer cell, a human cancer cell. They need those blobs of, of cholesterol. So I actually blocked the ability of the cell to make those cholesterol blobs, but I'm blocked all sorts of other pathways at the same time as well. So it's um, it, it was a matter of building up a cocktail, not just with the drugs. I also use intravenous vitamin C. I use um, a whole host of supplements like berberine, quercetin, DHEA, melatonin, green tea. You know, I could go on. There are quite a few things I added in. I was known as maracas because I'd rattle if you <laughs> showed me. Um, but uh, yeah, it was um, it was a big combination of things that I used, but ultimately it worked. I didn't care that I was taking quite a lot of things. It, it actually worked. And I didn't feel any toxicity or side effects from what I was doing. That was a great thing is that I actually didn't even feel like I was going through treatment, which is awful. If you're going through cancer, the chemo, the radiotherapy, they're, they're really quite... Um, uh, awful to 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 tolerate and they really make you feel lousy in fact going through the treatments worse than actually having the cancer itself in some respects so cocktails have to be sorry i missed the first bit no i was just curious about how tailored does this cocktail end up needing to be for an individual yeah okay so i had cervical cancer but if you have Lung cancer, if you have lymphoma or if you have ovarian, they all have a fingerprint of a particular, of a signature of how they feed. So they all have a slightly different metabolic fingerprint. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting. You can you can look at, again, you have to dig around in the research and find out the kind of things it feeds off. This is something that I am looking at and I'm developing an app to help people work that out and make it a bit easier for people. Um, so that they can just plug in their 
their cancer type. Then you've got to look at the mutations. You've got to look at other things as well. And then I'll give them, this is the plan, is to sort of work different cancers out. I also have to look at the sort of, you know, whether it's an early cancer or a late cancer. Mm -hmm. There's a whole load of variables that I'm going to be adding into my app. Um, but the point is, is that it will hopefully give some idea. It may not be the absolute answer, but the point is I'm going to try and collect the data from people so that I'll get that back, plug that in and actually see what comes out at the end as the sort of the best cocktails out there. Great. Amazing. How did your background as a physiotherapist, uh, as you got sick the first time and then the second time, how did your background in education help you to make the decision after the first time to figure this out for the second time? Well, to be honest, I knew nothing really much about oncology. I knew about physiology, anatomy and um, pathology of disease, but we'd, we'd only vaguely touched on oncology it's not something you you learn as a physiotherapist but my mother got breast cancer between my first diagnosis and my second my when it had spread and hers was stage four I then threw myself into more research because I knew at this point I was woken up to the fact that stage four was incurable um mm -hmm. and this was before I was then diagnosed with stage four but I was desperate to try and save her. And I learned an awful lot of information that wasn't out there, uh, generally accepted, things like the Wahlberg effect, which is something that Otto Wahlberg, a physicist uh, back in the 1920s, discovered that cancer ferments glucose in a way that your normal cells don't. And it uses up glucose avidly, it's this really big, appetite and it uses these different pathways a different way of getting its energy to normal cells um so that was one thing and i knew that people were getting effect by there was the dietary effect of sort of switching off and reducing the amount of glucose um not generally accepted by oncologists because cancer rewires itself it and then there's other pathways it can use glutamine which is amino acid it can use fatty acids as well. So um, doctors aren't terribly keen on you just uh, chopping out the glucose, but that was something I did do like low glycemic diet. I did cut out quite a lot of protein in my diet. Um, I cut out dairy, I cut out alcohol. There were all sorts of things that I, you know, changed in my diet. Um, so, and it was really my mother who probably saved my life um, by going through cancer herself. Sadly, she mm. died. But, you know, she woke me up to the whole um, prospect of other treatments out there. So by the time I was then diagnosed with stage four, I had a head start. So I was already, um, I already had this bank of knowledge with me. Uh, so I'd already started changing my diet at that point anyway. Yeah. So I'm sure, sure it helped. Beautiful. That is I, I love the journey. I love how you've actually, yeah. You know, one of the things that I love about this show, Dave, is we bring folks on that have decided that they're going to make a difference and they just jump in with both feet. Yeah. And, and oftentimes, into, you know, they jump into a pool that they've never swum in before, <laughs> which I think is absolutely, I, I, I love that. So I, I just want to, you know, just acknowledge, you know, the curiosity 
um, and the um, yeah, the perseverance in 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 the process. I, I, I have to say I, there I, was a bit of desperation there as well. Desperation. Yeah. <laughs> there was a large element of desperation too. What you what you 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 are a living example of the migration from desire, cognitive yeah. desire, to felt desire, as if it's all. Yeah. I got a hunch that you had no doubt that it already. Yeah, that 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 solution already existed. It was just. Oh, I was quite sure the answer was out there. Yes. I was absolutely convinced. I knew if I dug around long enough, I would find something. And I didn't yep. know that I was going to find the right something. And I had no idea that my cocktail was actually going to have the result that it did. Um, because I was still, you know, there was a lot of crossing of fingers. And I, I just didn't know. Nobody had done it before. So I was, I was breaking a new path. I was trying something entirely different. Nobody had done a cocktail of off-label drugs to my knowledge certainly not the the, the cocktail that I'd use um, I'm sure that there are people out there who had but you know I I, I know of um, a chap called Ben Williams who had done a cocktail for his brain cancer but I only discovered him many many years later I had no knowledge of anybody doing what I was doing at all so it was uh, it, it was scary I, I was scared but you know, and it, and it, and it took going to several doctors to get the cocktail that I actually ended up with. So yeah. some of it I actually managed to get from my oncologist, but they don't like prescribing off-label drugs. They're very reluctant to do that, and even more so now than they were um, back then. You know, it was a little bit more relaxed, not that much. But I mean, there there are very strict guidelines for yeah. doctors these days, and they're so worried all the litigious. Uh, stuff that goes on you know they, they need to stick within their parameters very very carefully to ensure they don't get uh, uh, any comeback so I, I'm lucky that I had a very caring and um, she was very willing to look at complementary stuff which not many of them are to be honest yeah well when you're in a state of belief and a convincing state of desire other people deemed to open their minds uh, further than they normally do a lot of times that we can uh, get, get that. I have a, a friend that we share, Blaine, that was uh, told he would never be walk again in the first 12 doctors that he went to because he had a belief that he was going to walk again and he was sure that he had plenty of time to figure this out. And he just kept switching doctors. And I asked him, I said, you know, why did you keep going and looking for a doctor? He said, because it wasn't going to ever happen unless I had a doctor who actually believed along with me that I was going to walk again. I didn't want yeah. to, you know, it was going to be hard enough for me to stay in belief, yeah. but I needed a doctor that would believe as well. And I think that probably was part of your success as well. Oh, you, need a, you need a team behind you doing yeah. this on your own is impossible. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm extremely lucky that I did have, that lady, but I'd also found some integrative doctors to work with as well. In fact, at one stage, I had three of them because I wanted to, because there wasn't information on the internet back then, I was kind of using them to pick their brains to find out stuff and to, to learn myself. So I was constantly using them as a sort of a, an education. Um, but you, you need a good team. And, you know, I knew which doctor would prescribe what, you know, <laughs> it was, um, uh, I, I knew the kind of things that they, they might be prepared to do. So um, uh, I, I chose carefully 
and wisely who I, I uh, who I got on my team. But I was I was very lucky, very lucky. Well, it's a great example of co-creating coordinated movement. That, that's, yeah. what, that's what a leader does. And, and being more interested than interesting. So uh, exactly. you know, very interesting. Thank thank you so much for joining us. We, oh, uh, thank you so much for having me on. Please, if you have any questions uh, about how to starve cancer, and uh, there's a great book and course on how to starve cancer by Jane. So please reach out to her at howtostarvecancer.com. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Okay. Thank you, Jane. Thank you. Oh, well, I love when someone's success actually has meaning. You know, yes. it's uh, an amazing thing when we can uh, save lives. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just the human spirit, as you say, is extraordinary. Um, and finding that belief and feeling like she has. Um, all right, we are back on the clock, you and I. We have this production team that's loaded us up with technological interest uh, at the very best. I think it's uh, Matt's Dodger hat that's causing us all this grief. I keep on telling him to change. He, he got rid of the cowboy hat now that he lost, and he went immediately back onto the other choking team, the Dodgers. Uh, so. <laughs> Matt, we'll, we'll sit down and we'll have a long talk, Matt. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know what, what he's doing back there, but I was supposed to have Monica here already, and uh, there she is. There's Monica. <laughs> Monica Eaton Cardone, co-founder and COO of Chargebacks 911 and F911. Welcome to Office Hours. How are you? She may or may or not be able to hear us as well. Yes, okay. <laughs> All right. Let me, let me get it figured out. Okay. <laughs> you know, yeah, is, we're, we're going to be, I know I, I, they, they, they just put a schedule in front of me for office hours, a TV show, which is Apple TV and Bloomberg and uh, you extraordinary host on there with me. Um, much more difficult. It's funny. The TV is so much more difficult because people are just so accepting and acclimated to this bullshit that we have to deal with all the time. <laughs> they still have expectations like on TV, you have to have it like perfectly timed with the commercials and edited appropriately. Yeah. But like, you know, where else can we just bring some dude in and be like, I'm working on it. You know, this is the internet guys. Uh, but I, I personally, you know, think that uh, there, there's a certain role, you know, to, to me value in the, the realness of, of this show that we do and how, impromptu it is of what we do um all right we'll get back on track as monica's coming in here i want to kind of maybe pre-talk about uh yeah. you know the mentorship uh because she's going to promote her lift mentorship and both you and i have spent an extraordinary amount of energy mentoring people mm -hmm. um but you know as we are accelerating our careers um, you know, you're one of my mentors. I have many mentors. A sleep coach uh, is a big integral part of my life. And uh, for you, you know, we talk about having someone in your life that sits in a situation that you want to be in. You know, you're, you're even a little bit more advanced than I am uh, in experience. You know, who's one of your most critical mentors today, e even though most people probably won't even imagine you have one? <laughs> well, I, I two immediately come to mind, and they are you know, folks that I've known for decades. Truly, uh, Bob, you know, Bob Proctor. Uh, he has taught me more, and he has been a counsel in so many ways. Uh, his depth, just the richness and the depth, 
He has walked where I am walking and will and will be walking. So uh, I just I, I celebrate yeah, the fact that he has been in my life. And the other one uh, is, you know, one of my yeah, interestingly, we, we both grew up in the same place at the same time. Um, Mary Morrissey. Huh? Uh, yeah, Mary has been invaluable to me in you know, a number of different domains as a sounding board. She's, uh, I mean, she's crashed an organization and she's rebuilt it and she's rebuilt it into this in paragon of uh, just incredible success, you know. And she's she's had the, uh, um, what's the word I'd use here? Um, she's had the faith in herself and she's had the faith in the process that we talk about so much. You know, what we, what we led the show with today. And she and Bob both do, but you know, Mary in particular for me, uh, she brings a female um, perspective to a lot of the work that I do. And, and when I say female, there's a, there's a creativity and a softness and a gentleness and an awareness that Bob doesn't necessarily bring. Uh, it's not that he doesn't have access to it. But I, I, I found that you know, having a male and a female mentor for as long as I've had these two uh, in my life has been just an absolute uh, godsend in so many ways. And I, 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 I wouldn't be where I am without having uh, decided real early on that I can't walk this walk by myself. Yeah, I, yeah, I need to have folks that have gone before or are going with and then yeah. make sure that I harness myself to them. <laughs> Which is why, you know, I've uh, proven my attention plus intention equals coincidence with the appearance of you and in, in your wife in my life. Your wife was in my life first, actually. And the minute you walked into the hotel lobby with your unbelievably cool jacket on, I immediately had a, 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 a spiritual connection of like, wait a second, this is someone that I can, you know, connect to and through and someone that's walking where I want to be. But it's funny because, and we'll get to Raul in a second. Um, it's funny because when I received the notification of the Nobel Peace Prize nomination for Junior Achievement Worldwide, and the letter mentioned my name in it, you know, to recognize the efforts of the Chief Chancellor and Chancellors that we have, I immediately sent it to your wife. Um, and I wanted to thank her because without her, that would never have been a possibility, a probability or reality in my life, even being mentioned with, uh, you know, something as significant as that. And she immediately said, what are you, you know, are you crazy? What, what are you talking about? I said, no, because without you teaching me to have a different relationship to giving uh, and, which I think is really important, I see this with Rob Proctor and Mary Morrissey as well, and the open-minded, open-hearted and open-handed uh, relationships that you and Cynthia have given me, like Rob Proctor, like Mary Morrissey, like Sharon Lecter, like, yeah. and the list goes on and on where you, through your credibility of relationships, handed me off uh, with credibility and uh, great recommendations into the world thought leaders. And Cynthia, especially for me, uh, only spoke so highly you know, I always say some people think too highly of you and some too lowly. She was listed on the too highly list. <laughs> but it certainly did hurt to put me in a position to be that chief chancellor and to experience my relationship with giving in a whole different way. And I can 
remember the lessons so many different times. And you and I speak more, uh, obviously, because not just the show, just in, in a business mentoring side of things. And uh, but on a giving uh, side of things and relationship capital, I, I think these are areas that I would never be where I'm at. And this week, especially how blessed I am. Uh, and then, too, you know, we're both on a, a TV show that's coming out that on relationships, I found out they recorded me and, and, and Julie. Julie, you and Cynthia. Yeah. Uh, so I can't wait to see your version of me and Julian <laughs> on there. Uh, but anyway, I, I, I have talked long enough. I'm just so excited to have you. What, Matt, coming on here? This is a. We got show. Monica ready to go if you're ready for it. I can tell Dr. Raul Kushwa that he will have to wait for Monica because we are on the internet and the internet is much more or less reliable than my, my car. Um, thank goodness. Anyway, <laughs> Monica, Monica Eaton Cardone, she's the co founder and CEO of Charback, Chargebacks 911 and F. Uh, 9-11. Um, and you we were just talking about mentorship, uh, Monica, because you inspired me uh, by what you do with your Lyft mentorship um, at Chargeback University, Chargebacks University. Um, and you're, you're really creating through experience and acceleration uh, in the financial realm for, you know, women like my mom, <laughs> who, you know, had been a great catalyst to six children, but a single mom who you know, really could have uh, used your help uh, in, in a day when they didn't even have things like this. So uh, explain to us the type of mentorship that you're giving uh, in the Chargebacks University. Sure. Um, so we actually have two programs. Uh, so one is Chargebacks University, as you mentioned, and this really creates, um, is essentially it's an education platform that helps uh, retailers and banks really understand more about an industry that continues to grow. And like many industries that have become like cottage industries, um, there's, there's really no way to get an education. You can't go to college and learn about payments and it's very relevant. Um, so I think, you know, that does a lot of good and it's gotten people into new careers, help them to improve their skill set and and give them, you know, networking opportunities as well. Then in addition, we have the Lyft program, uh, which is designed. It's a mentor program for women, mainly women in technology and payments. But really, we're we're approaching women in in any career mindset that in that program, we match mentors with mentorees. And um, I myself have participated as well. And it is one of the most rewarding things just to talk to someone that, you know, they have questions about their career path. They're feeling insecure about how to handle things. I think we forget that at the end of the day, we all are humans. And especially when, you know, you're dealing with the grind of work and how to climb the career channel or, or um, ladders. Uh, so, so yes, that's, those are the two programs that we have. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your experience as a mentor, I'd be interested in this uh, because yeah, David and I both, you know, we were talking before you came on, you know, we've, we've been in that position. We've also been on the other side of that position too, as mentees. Um, what was it about your experience yeah, as a mentor that kind of led you to design actually a whole program uh, for this 
uh, fintech area specifically for women? Well, I can probably answer that. It's probably been my experience of not having a mentor. Ah, <laughs> that, okay. You know, it's like as an entrepreneur, right? You have this, you're born with this gene to help to look for gaps and you just can't help yourself. You have to do something when you find a need. And for me, um, I've been I've been in the technology space for you know over a decade, and I I rarely get to interact with women as peers. And I see you know a lot of women that they lack confidence or they think that they you know need to pursue different paths. And frankly, the the industry that we're in in fintech it's growing so rapidly. There's so many opportunities that I just thought. You know, there's not there there's not there's not a vehicle that is available for women to talk to other women that have made it and just ask advice. And I mean, it's so that so that's really what what led to it. I wish that I would have had it. Okay. <laughs> and so it was born out of out of that necessity. And well, another necessity, another necessity as well, is the idea of chargebacks. And yeah. as more women are creating their own e-commerce businesses and the fluidity of being able to start at such a you know low point of entry into these businesses without having the effective knowledge because a lot of these businesses will grow rapidly and the amount of dollars will grow rapidly uh, and not understanding um, or you know learning about chargebacks uh, you know so many businesses get into trouble because they think that the moment you know their merchant service pays them, that that's their money, and uh, you know understanding the and mitigating risk is so important. And it seems like you've been able to build, you know, billions of dollars of transactions and buying lost revenue for so many merchants around the world. Uh, I don't think a lot of people understand chargebacks in general and why you would need chargeback 911 uh, to protect you know people from chargebacks. That is a great point. And we're kind of like seeing a pattern here. Everything has been built out of necessity. So, <laughs> so I started out as a merchant myself and I, I got into the chargeback business, not because I had any passion for chargebacks. Believe me, I wanted nothing to do with chargebacks, but to <laughs> your point, right. you know, yeah, what, what, what happens is you have to solve these obstacles that prevent you from scaling and growing. And it's a necessary evil. Uh, so, you know, that it was born out of necessity. Chargebacks 911 was created. I never thought in a million years that I, that I would be in the chargeback business. I created it initially as a consulting business. And with the 911, thinking as a merchant, I wanted to speak to other merchants. And what I wanted most was to dial 911 and be rescued from chargeback hell. That's what I wanted. <laughs> so, uh, it's one of those crazy, crazy stories. We got contacted by the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. Um, but you're right. It is, it's the Achilles heel with scale and e-commerce. And especially, you know, with COVID being such a catalyst for scams and, you know, lots of risk. It's super important that, that merchants and retailers and even banks are armed with the tools to help them to safeguard their revenue. And a billion dollars is not chump change. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. Yeah, recovering a billion dollars. That, that is quite uh, significant. 
congratulations on that. And it's interesting the, uh, that the, the perception of an obstacle actually became an opportunity to build out a whole different uh, line of business. So Absolutely. Think, yeah, the, the, and, the, and, that, and that's the lesson there. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, it, it could be a necessary evil, but it's also a necessary opportunity as you're moving into places that you've never been before and doing things that you've never done before. It's all about solving problems. And yep. you know what I've learned is there's never a problem that only you suffer from. <laughs> You're right. never alone. That is true. <laughs> I, and I, I think that's directly to branding and, mar branding and marketing. And one of the things that, you know, I've evolved through mentorship to understand, uh, whether it was speaking, writing books, branding and marketing athletes, celebrities, entertainers, or TV shows or movies now, whatever I'm doing it was that idea that you just said. It's like, if you feel a certain way, if it's authentic to you, if this is your free, if you're Dr. Pimple Popper, I love using her, right? Like, because somebody mentioned Dr. Pimple Popper for me and it piqued my curiosity. I'm like, come on, who the heck would want to watch someone pop a pimple? And then I find out that she has more subscribers on YouTube than my entire Pro Football Hall of Fame. And she has a Bravo TV show. And Probably just, every woman. It, I yeah. don't know what it is with women, but yeah, <laughs> but, but, but it is. It, and it's like, I, I have learned to pay attention and women do more than men. Cause I, I have a TV show about funding companies and pitching companies, all these entrepreneur shows. And it seems like to me, so many women were like, so it was such a pain in the butt to get my kid out of in, in their, their winter coat and into the car seat. And so I had to figure out a way to make the car seat in the in the winter coat so we could get them in and out faster and yet men will have the same problem but won't do anything about it it seems to me that the women do necessarily be like i'm gonna fix this problem and it's not about the money right it's like yeah. they, they get something about them it's like no 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 this is not right i'm fixing this and then they end up making the money despite themselves because money follows it doesn't lead women uh which i think is a great attribute of a lot of women like yourself uh, thank you so much for joining us. We apologize about the technical difficulties. Everybody check out Monica E.C. for That's uh, our friend, Monica Eaton Cardone. And uh, where can they find the charback, chargeback services? What are the best places so, to reach out? Sure. Um, you can come to our website. It's a wealth of knowledge, chargebacks911.com. Easy enough. That's I, uh, easy. I wish I would have known you years ago. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. Great to You're be awesome. here. Thanks. Thanks, Monica. Have we'll have you back. Thank you, Monica. <laughs> Monica Eaton Cardone, genius. That's the definition of genius. Someone that can go ahead and say, hey, I got this problem. I'm going to solve it and then make over a billion dollars, recover over a billion dollars. Wow. 45,000 yeah. uh, merchants, by the way. See, that's no joke for someone who had an individual problem. All right. We have time for... A quick question from our friend, Dr. Raul Kushwa, and he is the COO. He's actually the interim CEO and co-founder of Predict Medics, uh, an accomplished biomedical scientist who hasn't cured cancer like our other friend, but I'm sure he's quite apt on a variety of other research uh, endeavors. And so uh, give us a little bit of background, uh, doctor, on what exactly you're researching. And I thought maybe you'd have a question for Blaine and I. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, uh, thanks for having me on the show. 
I actually used to be in the, in the academic world back in the day. I was a scientist with the government of Canada, a professor at the University of Ottawa. And what I actually realized that in academia, what happens all the time is that you have individuals or teams working in silos. There isn't really any cooperation, which everyone talks about that there is a lot of cooperation in academia. So my personal interest was in healthcare, immunology, and in parallel, I could see all these crazy developments happening in data science, AI. But then I'm like, how come this is not coming together to solve real world problems? And that's when I realized, well, maybe academia is not the place to, for me. And I just ended up becoming an entrepreneur. Um, I started to work on Predict Medics, and uh, it's an artificial intelligence company where our USP is using AI to solve real challenges, which is playing the world. So if you look at Predict Medics right now, we're offering uh, this gateway, which looks like a metal detector, but no, it is not detecting for presence of metals. What it's identifying are symptoms of infectious disease, signs of cannabis and alcohol impairment. And at the same time, I mean, we are also working on a solution that can identify the earliest signs of mental illness. And again, I mean, our technology has been successfully deployed with Fortune 100 companies, major events like uh, Formula One uh, recently in Austin, a lot of music festivals, film festivals. So that's where I can truly say that I'm actually uh, really uh, proud of our team that we are developing solutions that are not only solving the real world problems, but it's go going beyond a traditional academic pursuit, which it, tend which it tends to be in healthcare and in AI. I love that. You got a question to, for two old entrepreneurs? Oh, absolutely. And uh, again, uh, uh, I mean, just following you guys, I mean, it's, uh, it's quite tremendous what you guys have been able to accomplish. And David, uh, I mean, you in particular, the ups and downs that you have gone through in your life, I mean, losing everything and then rebuilding, what was it that drove you to come back? Because, I mean, right now, if you look at the world, I mean, the world is basically, uh, I mean, I shouldn't say it's collapsing, but again, that's how people are feeling. People are ready to throw the towel and walk away. So what would you say to those individuals that why shouldn't they do that and actually come back, strive, and actually look forward in a positive fashion? You know, it was the idea far before I lost everything. It was this idea that I had learned to enjoy the consistent, everyday, persistent pursuit of my own potential. And I always tell people that it was actually easier when I lost everything than the two years previous when I wasn't enjoying the consistent, persistent pursuit of my potential. I had entitled myself and lost uh, the values that I learned as early as possible from my mom. And it was interesting because I was blessed to have the wife that I had I'd say that, you know, the biggest harm to me was not only being a multimillionaire, but having access to things that even billionaires could afford to do. So I was, you know, married to my dream girl, had my dream children. I lived in my dream house. I owned a golf course, a ski mountain. Everyone around me just kept saying, yes, 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 yes. And, you know, thank goodness I had my wife uh, who <laughs> reminded me that you better take stock in who you are. And so when I lost everything, uh, you know, I remember, I'm going to choke up telling the story, but I remember walking in uh, to the house and my wife not knowing I was there and she was crying in the kitchen uh, to her uncle who has known me since I also was nine because I met uh, not only my wife when I was nine who hated me, but her cousin was my best friend. And so her uncle was in my, my kitchen and I was in the other room coming in and I hear her crying saying, 
I don't, I, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know if Dave, Dave can pull us out of this. You know, he see, he seems so relaxed. It's worrying me. You know, he seems so, so calm about it. We, we've lost everything. We, you know, all the homes, the golf course, everything. We, we have to start over. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, "Oh, he said, I can't wait." She said, "What? Oh, I can't wait." She said, "I can't wait to see. I've known this kid since he was nine. I can't wait to see." what he does with his back against the wall, right? With his back against the wall. He's done all these great things without my back against the wall. He said, I'd like to see this now because he knows if I had him taken stock in who I was, that I wasn't going to quit. And I think, you know, from that time on, getting rid of the people that were interfering with who I was and what I wanted to become, finding people like Blaine and Cynthia, you know, I remember Blaine telling me, early on when he met me remember you have control no matter what's changing dave you have control of the mindset the heart set uh in you know the hand set i call it and stop looking at what you don't have control of and you know that's what i tell people today look it's tough but i have faith i'm being promoted and protected at all times and you should too and that's what makes it happen so uh sorry to ramble on there but it meant a lot to me because i think so many people come to me with that question and it's important that they know that they're protected and promoted and they have control of their mindset, their heart set and their hand set. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's definitely inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll toss something in there. And, and one of the things that you're talking about there uh, has to do with the ability to continuously start over. And I really do believe that that's a key to not just entrepreneurial success, but to success in life because I mean, if, if I look at nature, nature is always in the process of dying in some way. Everything's in transition always, but that transition always gives birth to something else. Human beings, we've got this mindset of, of, of uh, stasis. You know, let, 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 I want to hold it the way that it is. Life doesn't work that way. So, for me, sustainable success in life is about developing the capacity to continuously start over. And it's that capacity question that most people don't want to touch with a 10-foot pole because mm -hmm. it's, 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 a, it's hard work. Mm -hmm. and, and when your back's against the wall, you got yeah. how do I start over? I don't, I don't give up here. If I'm not moving forward, I'm going to be dying. If I'm not moving... Mm -hmm. Yeah, just yeah, throw the dirt on me. Uh, so I guess it's, it's it's more about trying to be fluid to an extent where you can mold yourself depending on the situation, right? Yeah, because yeah, the moment they, you do that, in a way, you're in control of what the outcome is going to be. Well, that's yeah. You know, my 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 sage advice to David is about you know being in control. What he's in control of, or what I'm in control over, my my thoughts, my attitudes, my behaviors. That's what mm -hmm. I'm in control of. Life out there. I have absolutely no control over what's going to go on out there. And if I think I do, I am seriously going to be uh, shooting myself in the foot over and over and over again. And your thoughts, attitude, and behaviors are the cause, not the effect. Absolutely. And so that's so important, too. Anyway, Doctor, we will have you back as well. We appreciate what you're doing. What a fascinating company and love the transition yeah. in your life. We appreciate your patience as well. We've had a technologically uh, challenging day here on Office Hours, but nonetheless, we've had gold just dropped again and again. There's nuggets all over the floor here on Office Hours. We will talk to you soon. 
Thank you. Check out my friend, Dr. Raul Kushwa, and you can reach them at predictmedics.com. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Yep. Awesome. All right, Blaine, takeaway of the day. What a great episode. It was. And the takeaway is simply the capacity to continuously start over. I mean, we yeah. had to start over, over and over again today. And and I think this was a great show. I, I, I absolutely love the ability that you and I both have and our guests to just kind of be in the moment. It is what it is. Nobody's hair's on fire. You know, let's just kind of roll with it. Maybe Matt's hair's on fire, but that's another story entirely. <laughs> but yeah. just yeah, starting over, okay? Redo. Let's do yeah. it. I, I love that as well. And for, for me, beyond even just starting over, never quit, right? It yep. uh, goes, goes along with it. There's nothing to quit. And, you know, looking at Jane, imagine life on the line for her and her mom. Monica, you know, it was just like, you have over a billion dollars in lost revenue and 45,000 merchants because you didn't quit. Um, and, you know, here we have uh, the astute scholar who I am sure uh, felt lots of resistance when he said he was going to be an entrepreneur. And I'm sure the lessons that he's learned as an entrepreneur uh, made him question, why did I give up my cushy job in the National Research Council of Canada, where I was well-respected? Why did I get involved in this mess? There's no stability at all, except for my mindset, my heart set, my handset. Uh, so never quit. We're always starting over. What great lessons. Thank you for everything learn.blainbartlett.com forward slash lmm join him you will not regret it thank you so much awesome so we'll see you thank thank you everyone thank you matt for those slow, uh, slow thumbs of the day and your hat we appreciate you i know your job definitely probably stressful but lane and i can handle it we're having fun here we're here every day tomorrow's training uh 7 a.m pacific time on Clubhouse, we're going to do the five steps of selling. Uh, that That's it. It's five steps to sell anything. Come if you are interested in sales at all. Come to my training tomorrow. Anyway, 14-day uh, gratitude challenge. And most importantly, you can reach out to me, david at dmeltzer.com. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. Talk to you later.